Hello, hello, hello. I'm so excited to be back with you. This is Corinne Modicaitis, host of How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet. And today I'm really thrilled because I get to share one of my good friends with you, Renee Siebert, and she's an Equus coach. And we're going to be talking about walking into the horse arena, what it's like, my own experience. And we're going to be talking about converse, the conversation is going to be about showing up in your life, being vulnerable, letting go of judgment. She also has some really great questions that you can ask yourself. So be prepared to write them down. I will circle back after this conversation. And thanks so much for listening. Hello, Renee, and welcome to our conversations that we're going to have about the arena and the arena with horses. Hey, it's great to be here. So I'm excited to talk to you about this. And we're going to have a series of conversations just like I've been doing with other people. And I want to just first talk about when I was exposed to Equus coaching um, many years ago. And I I was like, "Uh, I don't really like, and people aren't going to like this. I don't really like animals. (laughs) It goes under my, I'm a busy person. I don't have time to take care of other people, right? I have a whole team. I have, I have all these children, but, um, and so there's there's all those thoughts that get in the way. But then I remember when I got exposed to it, just even the, the conversations about it, and I became intrigued. And then many years ago, you and I were in D.C., and you had conducted a workshop, and I went to it. And, you know, I walked in thinking that, hey, I really understand boundaries, and I'm really good with boundaries. And I learned so much more about myself and boundaries in the in the horse arena. So first off, if you can just explain to the listeners what Equus coaching is, because I know some people have a hard time even what's life coaching, and we're taking it to another level of Equus coaching. It's not about us coaching the horses, right? Yeah, right, <laughs> or training them. Yes. That's another common misconception that Equus coaching is somehow about you know training and coaching the horses. Um, Equus coaching is a really experiential way of combining nonverbal interactions with these large animals, horses, and uh, using coaching tools to really help increase self-awareness and build confidence and um, figure out how to read feedback from your environment. Because horses provide real immediate, clear, genuine feedback, and they give us opportunities to look at how and where we're being clear or if we're incongruent in our communication. So it's a way of combining these on-the-ground exercises or activities with a horse or horses. And um, the person would have a coach there to notice what the person's doing and what the horse is doing, what the feedback is, and have an opportunity to then make a shift in what's happening and see how that creates different outcomes. So it's very powerful. Um, clients really experience these immediate shifts by watching the feedback from the horses and, you know, learning how to listen to your own intuition and look at the feedback, adjust the message, and then look again. And it's, um, it's something that we did when we were really young as children. 
we were reading our environment before we even had language. And then once we learned language, we started making sense out of, out of the world with our language. And we've forgotten to use all this nonverbal information. So it's, it's wonderful. I want to talk about the receiving feedback um, and why that's so important. Well, you know, getting back to the language thing, we make sense out of the world by telling ourselves a story about why things are happening. You know, so here's an example I use often. Let's say I walk into an office and somebody that I've been working with gives me a look and I'm thinking, oh, you know, that's Joe. He's mad at me because of what I said yesterday. And, you know, he's never, he's not going to tell me he's mad. So we're going to have this thing between us and it's just going to be uncomfortable. What, you know, what should I do about this? So I go through my day with this assumption. And if I would have just said, Hey, Joe, what's up? You know, he would have said, Oh, I turned the corner on the way into the office and I spilled my coffee in the car. And now my car's a mess and it had nothing to do with me. But you know, when we're reading these nonverbal cues from our environment, that is feedback. And we go inside to make sense of that rather than really finding out what does that mean. And because horses don't have language, you know, they're giving us feedback in, in their body language where their ears are pointed, you know, if they're moving towards us or away from us. And so we can't um, as easily go into that story. Or if we do, the coach will be there saying, well, is that true? You know, what is the feedback you're getting? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, that we, it's, it's a really wonderful skill to get back to, to learn to read the feedback in our environment because it keeps us in the moment. It keeps us out of the past and the future. And it allows us to stay closer to the truth or to reality, which, as my friend Aaron says, reality, you know, is so much kinder than what we think reality is. <laughs> you know? oh. it, I think it's really true that when we're children, we, we, we read the feedback. You know, you'll, you'll hear a little child saying, you know, Mommy, why, why are your words so nice but your face is so mad? Right. Mm. So they're reading it. And then, you know, the parent will say, Shh, you know, don't say that. Listen to what I'm telling you. So we <laughs> learn to listen to the words instead of what we are intuitively picking up. I think there's a study out of UCLA that talks about, you know, the percentage of communication. I think it's 7% that's mm-hmm. verbal and then. Like 38% that's tone and the rest of it is the nonverbal and we rely on the 7% most of the time. Mm -hmm. Oh, I have this happen all the time where parents will think that their kids aren't talented to be a swimmer. And, um, and I'll talk to them about that and they're like, Oh, but I never tell my children. And then I say, but your child can feel it. And I say, here's an example. When you are mad and your husband comes home, and hasn't seen you in the house, but walks the door, can they sense that you're upset? And every time the answer is always, oh, yes, they know. Without even knowing, they can feel it. And and so that was always my example back to them of, so this thought of this belief that my child isn't talented or they're not going to do really well in the sport 
can get in the way of what's happening with their child in the sport. And it's about cleaning up that those beliefs because they may not be verbally saying it, but their child is is hearing it. And then they begin to live it mm-hmm. because we learn from example and we learn from our, our role models. So what, it, what you said got me thinking about as we're kids, we really have this great sense of being able to get those verbal or those nonverbal cues and pick it up instead of just being dominated by language. Mm-hmm. And we lose that over time. And so it sounds like when we're in the arena, that's one of the things that we start to learn again is to bring back that, oh, here are all these different cues. Pay attention. Mm-hmm. And to be able to separate, you know, what are the real feedback cues? And then what are the ones that I'm making an assumption about and acting out of the assumption rather than just making a small shift and seeing if that makes a difference in the feedback. So, so one of the things that I do a lot in the arena or in the round pen with people and horses is to invite them to do the slightest shift. I call it a one degree shift. And, you know, things are going to happen. I think this, this is something I read in Jack Canfield's success principles. He talks about E plus R equals O. Mm-hmm. Events are going to happen and we're going to have a response. Sometimes it's a reaction, right? And then there's going to be an outcome. And if the outcome is not what I desired, what part of that equation do I really have influence over? It's, mm-hmm. it's really only my R, my response. So if I can make a one degree shift in my own response, that's going to create a new O, a new outcome. So we practice in the arena or in the round pen, these one degree shifts to take a look at what is the different outcome. And by that, I mean, what's the feedback from the horse? So, you know, if, if, I, if I'm leaning towards the horse with all my weight on my right foot, staring, you know, eyes on eyes, a one degree shift could be that I go into soft focus or drop my gaze a little bit and take, take my weight to my back foot, which removes the pressure and the horse will come towards me because the horse was receiving a message from me, stay there Mm -hmm. just by my nonverbal cues. And then that one degree shift says, oh, it's okay to come in. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're doing that with people all day long. You know, when we're, when we're with our children, when we're with our, our spouses, when we're with a group, when we're in a boardroom, um, when we're competing you know, there's a stance that you take when you're walking up to, you know, to get in line for your meet. And that, you know, that is communicating something to the people around you. And um, so, you know, there's there's another piece of this that we can get into in a second about congruence. Well, so, But, I, but let's stay with this for a sec. Yeah, because I want to add to that because I'm really good at keeping the horse away. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really, really good. It's like, oh, no, you're fine. Just stay right there. Just Where other right people, there. when we were uh, doing this many years ago in D.C., when we were doing this, other people, they had the horse would just keep coming to them and coming to them. And that was also showing up in their lives where people were not respecting their boundaries and coming coming to them all the time. And uh, so, but what's so interesting is in life, I could, I'm really good at, you know, like I said, the boundaries and keeping people afar. But then I'm really good at having a pity party for myself of why am I here all by myself? (laughs) (laughs) 
And then blaming other people. It's like, well, the horse doesn't see. See, with the horse, I'm not going to blame the horse. But with people, I'll say, oh, either there's something wrong with them or I go into the personal attack against myself instead of what am I putting out there that's keeping people away? Yeah, well, it's interesting that you phrased it that way. You said, because I, I wouldn't blame the horse. But interestingly, a lot of people do. They make the assumption, and the my clients will say to me, "The horse won't doesn't want to come near me." So my coaching question is, "Do you want the horse to be near you?" Because the horse can feel that. Mm-hmm. So you know, if if a lot of people have heard the saying, "Don't let the horse know you're afraid," they've learned that you know from riding instructors, and and it's it's actually a myth because the horse knows you're afraid. The horse can read your heart rate you know, completely can feel any tension that's going on, you know, when we're near them. And so if I'm pretending to not be afraid, I'm now not congruent with what my body is saying. Mm -hmm. And the horse will give me lots of space if that's the case. So, you know, it's like, okay, you don't quite know yourself right now. So I'm going to just give you lots of space till you figure that out, you know, mm-hmm. kind of thing. And then if I could go inside and say, okay, what am I feeling? Give it an adjective. Is it nervousness? Is it curiosity? Is it complete terror? You know, what is it? And then once I give it a name, now I'm lining up and I'm congruent. I think of it like, you know, in the grocery store when you're trying to scan an item and it it's not scanning and it's like, bleep, bleep, bleep. you know, it's not scanning. And then somehow you get the barcode to line up and then it goes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're, they, they are really happy when that happens. And I believe that we spend a lot of time trying to not be what we really are. Like I have people all the time say, I, I, I can't go until I calm down because I'm really anxious. Well, how much energy does it take to try to be not anxious? I mean, if you're anxious, you're anxious. So, you know, to just acknowledge, okay, what is it that I'm feeling? My heart rate's up. My stomach's a little bit tight. Okay, that's nervousness. That's anxiety. When do I feel this? I feel this when I'm doing something that I'm not familiar with. When there's a little bit of risk or uncertainty. Ah, it's vulnerability, right? So now I've, I've, I understand what I'm feeling. I line up like a barcode. Now I'm congruent and I don't have to not be anxious. I can just go in and be what, what I am and who I am. And the horse is fine with that. And people are generally fine with that. Where we get nervous around people is when we can't read what's going on. And we can't read what's going on often because we are so skilled at hiding what's going on. Mm-hmm. And so we do that in life and, and horses give us an opportunity because they act like a mirror to say, wow, is that how I'm really showing up? Is that, is that how I want to be? And what if I made a shift to just be exactly who and what I am right now? How would that look? And generally speaking, when that happens in the arena or the round pin, the horse will come right over. So there's two, two parts to that. So one is, is there something in me that I'm projecting out saying that is a very safe distance for me? That feels good, right? Mm-hmm. So that's one. The other is, am I putting off something that says, come here, come here, come here, but that's not really what I want, mm-hmm. right? So that's what you were talking about, the difference between you know, uh, when it's needing to work on a boundary issue. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and typically what's underneath that is I think this is what I should be doing mm-hmm. is get the horse closer to me, but that's not really what I'm ready for. And that's an opportunity to work on boundaries because it's okay to follow our inner guidance system, which is, you know, this is a safe distance right now. I'd really like for you to stay out there versus, okay, I really want you to stay out there. But what I think I should be doing is having you come near because there's this exercise I need to do. I really wanted the horse to stay out there. But I then, <laughs> but then when, when we did get to the exercise and I remember being worried like, oh, will the horse really be able to come to me when we have to do the exercise where that, you know, you're, you're supposed to, is it join up with the horse? And I was a little worried that I wouldn't get the gold star. <laughs> That's it. See, it's what I think I should do or the performance aspect. And we, a lot of times get lost in that. And then we step over our own boundaries of what feels comfortable. And that's when we end up getting in trouble in our lives because we're not listening to ourselves. Like what would be wrong with saying, you know, this is as far as I want to go right now. I mean, whenever I do Equus sessions or Equus workshops, I always start by talking about the most important thing is to lead your own experience. And for some people, that means saying, I'm not ready to go in there. I want to watch for a while, or I want you in there with me. Or, you know, I mean, saying no is just as powerful as saying yes in terms of paying attention to your inner guidance system. So I love that idea of that the most important thing is to lead your own experience. Um, but can we use that as a scapegoat for not showing up when we really want to? So say more. Tell me what you're thinking about. Well, I, I'm thinking about how we can take that, which is, I mean, that is the essence of the show. It's the essence of my life work, right? The most important thing is that you lead your own experience. My words is you be the boss of you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think at sometimes we can say, oh, see, I'm, I'm really the boss of me, so I don't want to do this. But our heart, I, we're, we're saying the right thing. But our body's not lined up with that because we really want to do this. Like we really want to step into the arena and go all in, whether it's in work or in a relationship. But we're saying, oh, see, I'm leading my own experience. I really don't want to get in a relationship, even though that may not be true. Well, so I think a real key there is is where, where is the... Where's it coming from? Is it coming from fear or is it coming from, I need to love myself right now and make this decision. So if it's coming from fear, which is, I really want this, but I don't think I can do it. So I'm going to say, no, that's a fear decision. But if I'm really loving myself and saying, you know, my schedule is too full right now. And if I say yes to this, I'm going to be compromising my sleep, my health, you know, my sanity, I'm putting more pressure on myself. So a loving thing to do for myself right now would be to set a boundary and say no. Mm-hmm. So the feeling inside my stomach might be the same for both of those, but I need to take the time to say, where is it coming from? It, is it because I'm afraid of success or failure? Because those are equal, right? What if I succeed? Then what? Oh my gosh. So taking the time to really look at, is this like, uh, you know, a lizard fear that's mm-hmm. saying, uh-uh, you don't get to do that. You know, that's not where you should show up. Or is it um, 
you know, I need to take care of myself right now. I still have this desire, this dream, but I, I want to wait for the timing or for, for when I'm ready. Mm-hmm. That's a setting a healthy boundary for myself. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be afraid when we step into the arena. We're going to feel those, <laughs> those that fear, you know. And what's the loving thing to do for myself to move forward and, and see if I can do it? Or, you know, is it, is it really that I'm not ready? Mm-hmm. And it, it could be either. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's important to pay attention because I really do love the most important thing is to lead your own experience. I think that's so important. Mm-hmm. But I think you have to be really rooted like in this compassionate, loving place. To otherwise, if you're in that fearful place or that scarcity place, it's like, oh, see, I need to lead myself. So, and we see a lot of people do this. Oh, so that means I just need to not go and do anything. I don't want to challenge myself because when you show up in the arena, I mean, the the way to like dare greatly or whatever is is vulnerability, right? Being willing to be vulnerable, having uncertainty, emotional exposure, and risk, and that's really the pathway, isn't it? To the most important thing is to lead your own experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, two things come to mind when you say that. Number one, I'm so lucky because when I'm doing an equus session, the horse is going to tell me. The horse is my co-facilitator, almost acts as a lie detector. So mm-hmm. in this scenario, what I would be asking you is, I, I'd like you to say out loud what you're, what you're just saying. I, I want to go into the arena, but what, you know, what's really going on inside of me right now is I don't feel ready. And, you know, I I want to wait. Mm -hmm. So then I would watch the horse's reaction to that. Mm -hmm. If the horse turns and walks away, that to me is a real good sign that that's not true. Whereas if you said, I'm really scared, and I think it's my lizard fears going nuts and trying to tell me what I should and shouldn't do and who do I think I am, but I really want to move forward and try this despite the fear, the horse would be standing right next to you licking and chewing with the head relaxed, leaning into you. Because, you know, they really can tell when we're telling ourselves a story and when we're not. It's fascinating. And any horse will do this, pretty much. So, um, you know, that is the beauty of working with horses, is that, you know, if you, if you, if you have somebody really willing to try that out. The, the other thing that, you know, you and I would, would do to work with each other or with somebody else who's in that dilemma would be to move out into the future and say, okay, let's wave a magic wand. This is all behind you. You've, you've been able to get all the way past this. You're now a year down the road or whatever, and you have gotten past this. How do you feel right now? You and your future self, how does it feel? Because, you know, what, what we're really after with a lot of the things that we're doing when we step into the arena is who we're going to be when we do that. So most people will say, I will feel good that I tried it. Mm-hmm. Not whether I, you know, succeeded or failed or had to change my plan along the way, but I followed my own intuition or my own dream or my own instinct that this was something I wanted to try or do or be. And that's what feels good, not whether or not, you know, it was accomplished with a gold star, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? It's, I got out there and gave it a shot because you don't know how how it's going to go. There's all kinds of, you know, little 
turns around the bend that we have to shift the plan a little bit, but I'm still on the path. I'm still on the road. I'm still in the arena. Rather than standing outside of the arena saying, I, I'm not ready. I can't do it. How does that feel in a year? I still have the desire. Mm-hmm. I still wonder what it would be like if I had tried. That's not the feeling most people are going for. Well, that's, that's I think, the feeling of regret. Yes. Right. And how many people live with regret? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if that's really crystal clear, then we can talk about, okay, what's, what's holding us back? Is it fear of failure? Is it, is it shame? Is it, you know, I don't want to be embarrassed? Is it, you know, everybody who's telling me I'm not going to make it is going to be right? You know, what is that? Because all of that we can work through before you step into the arena. We have a lot of tools to, to work through that. Well, because I can imagine, um, well, I know this personally, you know, going into the arena, it brings up so much stuff. I mean, one is there's my animal stuff. Two is getting dirty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't want to get dirty. I always, <laughs> I always have such resistance. I'm like, I don't want to get dirty. And then once I get into the muck of it, it's fine. Um, and then the other is the performance anxiety. Whether So if you're with your employees, right? Because you do a lot of company um, rich, uh, workshops or right. with colleagues. So your peers, are they going to see you not get that gold star, not do the exercise right? So there's so many different aspects. It could be fear of animals. It could be how are you going to show up? Or maybe I don't really want. Or this idea that I don't want to really know. Right? Let me just stick my head in the sand over here and be an ostrich. Right. And that, you know, that happens with all of us. And, you know, that's what Brene Brown says in, in her book. She says that's that's the crux of it is when you go out there and do it. And I know how, you know, worried you are about getting dirty or being their animals. I just see that as such bravery and courage, right? But when I step in there to do it, that just feels like a lot of fear of risk and emotional exposure. Mm-hmm. And that's what vulnerability is. And we grow the most by being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. That Those are our moments of, of <laughs> stretching and growing and stepping in there and saying, oh my gosh, I'm going to do this. You know, I, I have a, a, a fear of heights, and it it wasn't always there. I don't know, in my late 30s, it started where I would get really anxious going over bridges in a car and this and that. And on my 40th birthday, I was with some friends outside of Aspen, Colorado, and the, the big deal was to go jump off this cliff into this water. And I did not want to tell anybody about my fear of heights, and I and I didn't want to be afraid of heights anymore. And I just thought, dang it, I'm 40 years old. I'm just going to do this. And I seriously didn't think I would be alive when I hit the water. I thought, you know, this was just going to kill me. And I went up there and right before we were ready to jump off this ledge into the water, and I can't even remember how tall it was. It probably wasn't even that bad, but to me it felt like, you know, five stories. But I told this friend of mine, I said, I am really frightened. And, you know, he said, well, Okay, we'll go down together, we'll hold hands, and when we hit the water, you know, we're probably going to, you know, lose contact, but just swim towards my voice wherever you are when you come up out of the water. And so I did it. I jumped off this cliff into this water, and when I hit the water, first of all, I was surprised that I felt the water, and secondly, my second thought was, oh my God, nobody told me the water was going to be this cold. (laughs) 
so I came out of the water with one of those, you know, because I couldn't catch my breath. And I heard him saying, big rock, big rock, swim here, swim here, swim here. So I just followed the voice, you know, and, and, and I did it. And I was shaking for like an hour after that, but I did it. Mm-hmm. You know, I just thought, I'm just going to deal with this, you know, nothing bad's going to happen, or maybe it will, but at least I'm not going to be gripped by this fear. Mm-hmm. Um, I still get a little edgy when I go over bridges and things like that. And and there's certain situations where I really feel my heart rate going, but, you know, I mean, I, I faced it and uh, it was pretty freaky. I felt very vulnerable not so much the jump, but telling one other person how ridiculously frightened I was, you know, <laughs> it was, it was crazy. I can't, I can't believe I just thought of that, but I remember that feeling of just complete and utter fear. Mm-hmm. And so often we can let that hold us back yeah. and get in the way. Mm-hmm. It was a great celebration that night. Well, and and that's the thing is that like when you get when you go through that 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 fear that fear of fe- fear, and you can move through it and get to the other side. I mean, afterwards that that evening, were you happy that you yeah. did that? Yeah, yeah, and and I've actually gone back to that place a few times and just kind of like sat on the rock and sort of celebrated. Mm-hmm. You know, I have no desire to be in water that cold right now, but. but that was so funny it wasn't like I did it it was like oh my gosh this is cold (laughs) so that's another thing you know as as we work with people you know when people come out of the round pen after being so frightened to be near the horse they feel so great and you know a, a lot of times when people come in there's this um emotional wash that just happens and people start to cry when they're near the horses and it could be just the healing power of the horses. It could be, I've just walked in and faced one of my, what I thought was a fear, you know, it could be a whole lot of different things. And I usually try to, you know, find out what that is for the person so that, you know, it, it can remain open, whatever it is and not go back and be blocked, but it's a real emotional experience to, to step into the arena, whether it's an arena with a horse or whatever arena we've created for ourselves. It feels really good to do that because most of what holds us back is our thoughts about what could happen, you know? Yeah, it is our thoughts about what could happen. But we do, we have this assumption about what reality is or going to be. And a lot of our assumptions are based on what we've been told we should or shouldn't do. So that's all tangled up in there too. And, you know, really picking that apart with, with the truth of what is. Um, and that's what's so great about the horses is they don't have that language. They are not making up a story about how we're behaving. They're just simply noticing how we're behaving without any baggage to it. So they don't mind if I'm angry. They don't mind if I'm upset. They don't mind if I'm short or tall or have an illness. They, but what they pick up on is whether or not I'm okay with it. That's what they're picking up on. And, you know, the struggle that I'm in with um, 
accepting it, believing it, all of that. Mm -hmm. So they can give us immediate feedback on that. And um, it's really powerful to listen to what comes out of our mouth as we're, you know, doing this work. You know, I'll hear people say, oh, um, you know, these horses just want to get the heck out of this. You know, they've had enough. So then, of course, my question is, do you want to get the heck out of here? Have you had enough? Because we're constantly projecting onto our environment. Um, it's, it's a really great experiment to just listen for a full day to the things that you're saying about other people or your situation. And to, to take a moment to ask yourself, hmm, is that what I'm feeling? And I'm projecting that out there. Because more times than not, that's the truth. I mean, that's how we live our lives. Same. By projecting out, projecting out there and then, you know, moving on the assumption that that's true. So can you give kind of a specific example of that for the listeners? Well, um, well, the, the one I was just thinking of was, you know, I was, I was doing a team exercise with the horses and this was a, a, a team of, um, law enforcement people. And, um, most of them were having a really fun time, but the horses were, you know, pretty active in the arena. And I kind of called a timeout and said, let's check in with the team. How's everybody doing? And, you know, they were trying to get this one particular task done. And when we do these tasks with the horses, you know, they're just an opportunity for us to interact and show up the way we would normally do. Because the way you do one thing is the way you do a lot of things. So that shows up in the, in the arena. So um, most of the people when they checked in said, oh, this is fun, but you know, we're not all together. We're not on the same page. We're not this or that. And the one person said, you know, the, the horses are running. They want out of here. You know, they, they've had enough of, the, of this whole thing. It's too much pressure. So I stopped and said, well, let me ask you, you know, have you had enough or is it, and is this too much pressure on you? Which was, you know, that that was risky because that creates this vulnerability moment for the person. And he stepped right up and said, yeah, you know, that there's too much activity right now. And um, so that was a moment of truth because there are two options. One is to say, okay, you know, lead your own experience, take care of yourself. What do you want to do to proceed? And, there, and there's two options. One is I want to get out of the arena. Mm-hmm. The, the other is I want to be heard, right? So in that moment, the team had the opportunity to notice that this person had taken a step out to be vulnerable and a chance to regroup and say, how do we take care of every member of the team? Let's bring the activity down. Let's walk, not run, which means the horses are going to walk, not run because they respond to us. And they went back in as a team. The person stayed in the activity. The horses were walking, not running, and they had this really great outcome. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I make a statement about someone or something like that, it's an opportunity for me to say, wait, is that about me? Or is that, am I I really reading the situation? Because more times than not, it's a statement about me. Oh. 
in culture, and that's so counterculture because culturally it's about how can we blame other people. Oh, yeah, and that's what we immediately go to do, right? And that goes back to the E plus R equals O, right? If the outcome is not what we desired, every single person involved has a chance to do a one-degree shift of their R. So if I'm in conflict with someone and I, you know, I, I move forward to somehow resolve it, you know, if my intention is to prove the other person wrong, <laughs> that's one outcome. Uh, if the intention is to create dialogue, that's another completely different outcome. But if I go in saying, you know, you do not understand me. Mm-hmm. And that's why we're having this conflict. The question I could ask, ask myself is, what is it that I'm not understanding about that other person or even about myself? That's the place to start because that's what I have influence over is myself. Can you repeat that question? Mm-hmm. Maybe. What is it? What, what did I, I say? You do not understand me. Okay, so if I'm going in and I've had a disagreement with somebody and I'm saying, you know, you don't get it, you don't understand, Mm -hmm. meaning I'm going to tell you so that you do understand, (laughs) right? Like, you know, if you understood, you wouldn't be doing this. So my question to me is, what is it that I'm not understanding? If I go in with that kind of intention to figure out, now I'm in an inquiry mode. It's like, can we talk about this? From your perspective, tell me what happened. How did you perceive what I said? You know, because what I meant to say and what you heard me say could be two different things. So let's check this out because we're both going on our own assumptions and perceptions. So resolving an argument or a conflict when I go in with the intention to understand is a completely different thing than the intention to show you what you don't understand. That's real vulnerability, isn't that? <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's like being willing to be wrong and say, okay, here's what I thought was going on. Tell me where I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, and we, we use that um, statement in, in coaching all the time because we want to be able to throw out a hunch, but we're willing to be wrong, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, and, and if I go in and say, we had a disagreement yesterday and I want to, I want to discuss it again. Mm-hmm. You know, here's where I think you misunderstood me. If I step back for a second and watch the feedback of what is happening non-verbally to that person, my hunch would be that the walls are going up and the defensiveness is going up and that person is settling in with a stance of saying, Oh yeah, <laughs> we'll take this. Right. But if I go in and say, Something happened yesterday, and I'm not sure I understand it. Can we talk about it? And then watch the feedback, the nonverbal feedback. There may still be a little bit of apprehension, but the statement, you, there's something I think you didn't understand, it makes somebody defensive. It could be true, but the way I'm saying that is going to put the other person on defense. If I go in with the curiosity, how did this happen? What what was misunderstood? What did I misunderstand? That's a whole different thing. And, you know, if I can stay in the moment and just pay attention to how I'm reading the feedback, what I think the feedback is, and check it out. 
you know, like, okay, you look confused. What, what did I just say that was confusing? And be willing to go there. Because in my mind, it's already happening. Oh, he looks confused. My thoughts are already doing that. Why can't I just take the risk and say, all right, you look confused. Let's take a step back. It's a whole different way of, of communicating with people. And I've learned this from the horses because, you know, people will say to me, oh, he, he's not paying attention to me. Okay, that might be true, but what's the feedback? Where's the ear pointed? Does he look relaxed? You know, what's the real feedback that you're getting? Oh, he is paying attention to me. He's just not sure, you know, what direction or communication I'm giving. Okay, try again. So we have that opportunity with the horses to really practice these little one degree steps that are so useful when we go back out into the real world. I just love this. I just love this. (laughs) And but I do think it takes courage and vulnerability to be willing to receive the feedback, and um, to be because I I think there could be a lot of shame triggers, mm-hmm. right? And so it with the thing that you know with the Brene Brown work and the Daring Way stuff is the idea of having those support seats, the seats of empathy and compassion. So the perspective taking, the self kindness, mm-hmm. um, the common humanity that we're all experiencing this nervousness as we step into the arena with the horses or step into the arenas of our life. But it's showing up, you can receive feedback if you're in a compassionate state, can't you? Versus if you are defensive or if you're in a a place of comparison, oh, she's doing it this way and I'm not, now you're in that scarcity place. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like one of the things that's really important is as you step in the arena is have those, the empathy and self-compassion with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And underneath all of that is, you know, if I really can do my work on a lot of this and have it constantly in the forefront, then I'm getting closer and closer to really feeling worthy of love and belonging. And when I do feel worthy of love and belonging, it doesn't matter what conversation I get into, you know, no matter how it turns out, if hopefully I can be true to myself and, you know, speak my truth and not necessarily impose it on others, but be able to speak my truth. Then if the person disagrees or doesn't see it my way, I'm still worthy of love and belonging. Mm-hmm. We may just have a different way of looking at things. And that's, you know, that's something that has, you know, really changed me um, it, in the last few years. A couple of years ago, I, I'm in a Facebook group and we oftentimes the first of the year we'll, we'll put up, you know, what what's the one thing you're going to work on this year? You know, so, you know, one year mine was ask, allow, receive. And, you know, another year was something different. But the year that was the most significant for me was the year that my my task for the year was to notice without judgment. And it was life-changing for me. And and I, I think that if I hadn't done the work with the horses, I, I don't know that I would have thought of this, but they really don't judge. They just notice and they move towards what feels good and they move away from, you know, stuff that looks scary or, you know, anything that is predatory, things like that, you know, they're going to naturally move away from that. Um, So just noticing that, but 
it really changed a lot of my relationships, you know, where I would try to go in and fix something that was going on. I would just notice and not judge it. You know, I would just say, oh, okay. He feels this way about that. I mean, this was, it was really a great thing for my relationship. Um, because we, you know, we would often have these deep discussions about things. And I think a lot of it was me trying to fix something or get on the same page with something when I didn't really need to do that. You know, specifically, my, you know, my dad came to live with us several years ago and, um, you know, that was a big adjustment for my husband. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when he would tell me things that were difficult for him, I would try to, um, either fix it or help him understand why it was happening that way or why my dad would do it this way, which didn't really matter. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And he would be frustrated with me because I wasn't listening. So when, when I just started to notice without any kind of judgment, okay, this is how he's feeling. This is how he's perceiving it. Okay. Why do I need to fix or change anything? He just needs to be able to say it. And that made a huge difference, a huge difference to just notice no judgment. Didn't have to fix it. Didn't have to change it. You know, it was a, it was a huge relief. (laughs) For a helper caregiver. Yeah, no. <laughs> I've got like the triple whammy nurse, therapist, coach, like, you know, <laughs> miss fix it here. But to just go, oh, wow, that's happening. Wow. Mm-hmm. So what's that like? You know? Yeah. I didn't, uh, just to be able to say, oh, I didn't realize that. Well, tell me more. I mean, that is so much more powerful than, well, did you try this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and that that's that action that we always go into because it's that we don't want to feel that uncomfortableness or the person that we love to have that uncomfortableness. So it's like, let's just get out of there mm-hmm. instead of holding the space to let them move through it. Yeah. Yeah. The fix and the tell. I'm really good at those two. <laughs> it's a practice. <laughs> like, well, did you do this? Could you try that? Well, don't you understand blank? And none of that was helpful in the moment. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you hold the space and be able to just, you know, try to understand what the other person's feeling. It's like what Brene Brown says, we all want to see, feel seen and heard. Mm-hmm. And in me moving into solution immediately, and don't, don't I mean, I, I bet your listeners can really relate to this. I mean, when, when you're, when you're wanting to just vent or talk about something and the other person goes right into solution, sometimes it's really frustrating. Like I'm not ready for that yet. I just need to talk about it. Mm-hmm. My husband's really great now. He'll say, so is this where I'm just listening or is this where if I have an, uh, an idea or solution, I could present it? And I'm like, no, <laughs> you're just listening. <laughs> okay, great. Got it. You know, so we have this understanding. And other times I'm like, oh, I need a solution. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, but the, the just listening and that's part of, you know, getting back to what we started with, was, which is, you know, just being present, watching the feedback you know, noticing what my response, how that creates an outcome. And is that what I'm going towards or not? And if it's not, then just changing my response and watching the feedback again. And it it makes life really simple if I break it down to those little steps. And we just complicate things so much, don't we? (laughs) And the noticing includes... Is there a trigger happening? Mm -hmm. And when I'm not doing it, 
when I'm not being kind and compassionate to the other person, oftentimes it's because I'm in a cycle of not being that for myself. Mm -hmm. And that gets back to that projection thing, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the world is a mirror for us. The horses are a mirror for us. And most of the time we're making judgments and assumptions about what's happening out there in the mirror and we're not looking at the common denominator, which is me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm the common denominator in all of those things. Well, and if we can look at the mirror from this growth mindset or from this place of love or compassion and the growth mindset of, you know, Carol Dweck at Stanford of, we can learn from our mistakes. It doesn't define us. Yes. Make the mistake and learn it. So receive the feedback from a growth mindset of you're not a bad person. What are you, what's the information you're putting out there? Is that in line with the information you want out there? Exactly. Getting back to that lining up. Yes. Yeah. Well, Renee, this has been great. And I'm excited to have you on and having more conversations about, you know, being in the arena. We're going to be talking about this and talking about other topics that come up in the arena and how people can show up and and do this work. So I'm really excited. So thank you so much for agreeing to be a continuing guest on the show. Thank you. Thank you. It was great to be here. And I'm looking forward to our next time together. So... Did you write down those questions that Renee threw out in this conversation? My favorite question to ask myself that I learned from her is, was what is it that I am not understanding about myself in this moment? And the question can also be, what is it that I'm not understanding about that other person? Always remembering that all we have influence over are ourselves, our thoughts. So, what is the stories that we're telling ourselves? What are we making things mean? And that's what we have influence over for. And how does that affect us and how we show up? The Byron Katie quote that she had uh, talked about in the beginning of the conversation that our friend Aaron likes to use is, reality is always kinder than the story we tell about it. Think about that. What are the stories that you tell? So often when I'm working with people, there's so much worry. And recently, there was a study done by a Cornell professor where he looked at uh, about 1,500 people and they were in the later part of their lives and he asked them what their single most biggest regret was. They thought was maybe be affairs, job changes, you know, mistakes that they'd made in their lives. And did you know the single biggest regret that they had in their life was they worried too much? And that goes back to this Byron Katie quote of reality is always kinder than the story we tell about it. How does it serve you to tell yourself such a mean story or such a scary story? You know, when I was young as a teenager, I liked to, I got into horror films. I have no idea why. I think there was some peer stuff. I thought it was kind of cool. Maybe I liked the adrenaline of it. And I remember it was uh, Nightmare on Elm Street and that whole, and maybe was it Chucky or Chuck? You guys can let me know. But there was a bunch of, there was a period of time, maybe six months, a year, where I really like these things and I get really scared. There is no way that I would go into horror film now because I don't want that kind of fear and emotion in my life. I don't need that. Like when I choose to watch a movie, there's certain feelings that I want. I want joy, happiness, maybe some sort of emotional, you know, movement moving into something. But 
So I also think about making choices with my thoughts the same ways that I would about, well, what do I want in forms of entertainment? And this isn't about lying to yourself. Never is it about lying to yourself. But really checking in to these stories that you're telling yourself in your brain, right? Because sometimes we get into this worry place and we are dress rehearsing tragedy and catastrophizing and that doesn't serve us. And have you gotten through this, the scary situation, the thing that you may have been so afraid of and then realized that it wasn't as bad? And sometimes I think we believe that, oh, but this will help us because then we're prepared. But can't you trust yourself enough to be prepared that you can figure out the situation if there is a difficult thing to get through? And aren't you resourceful enough? Or do you really need to get into that dress rehearsal of tragedy to be resourceful? For me, if I dress rehearse tragedy, it drains my energy. And so when I show up, I'm exhausted. I can't really think. I want to have the pity party. I want to pitch the tent and build a campfire and invite people. I don't want to problem solve. I don't want to move through it. I just want people to say, yes, poor you. And I want that white knight to come and rescue me. Really, that's what I do. So for me, instead of going there and being exhausted, it's about how can I take care of what it is now, knowing that there could be potential stuff, but stop dress rehearsing tragedy. Stop worrying. Really pay attention to my brain. What are the thoughts that I'm telling myself? So I do. I love Byron Katie. I love her work. She's been a guest on the show. And that reality is always kinder than the story we tell about is such a good reminder for all of us. I also want to talk about this idea of fixing people and needing to tell people and how Renee talked about, you know, noticing without judgment, noticing without judgment, and also holding the space for people so that when maybe your loved one, your partner, a good friend is going through discomfort, the reason we want to step in and fix it is because we're trying to take away their pain. Or we may not even, you may not even be comfortable with that feeling state. So you want to make it better. And it doesn't help. Um, sometimes I'll have people who I call it verbal vomiting. I'll be processing and that's how I work through stuff. And then I'll have a friend who'll want to jump in and fix it and tell me what to do. And I just notice in the inside, I'm like backing away because I don't want to fix it. I'm processing it and trying to understand and rumbling with it and figuring out what this all means to me and what are the stories that I'm making up? What are the facts? Where is the clarity I may need? Where are the possible boundaries? Have there been boundaries broken and really exploring? And so what I really need is to hold space. So one of the things I'm going to be practicing is that when I go to verbal vomit, instead of expecting my friend, my husband, whoever it may be in my life, a family member, to hold the space and not fix it, is first to build that container and ask for what it is that I need. Hey, can I can I just verbally process this? And can you just listen to what I have to say as I work through this? And just ask them that. And maybe they won't like that, right? But all you can do is ask. It's always an invitation, never an obligation, like I like to say. So this conversation with Renee was about how do you show up in your life What are the things that get in the way? Our fear of failure, shame, you know, how we project over others, um, the blaming versus ownership. And 
there's a lot of great insight in here that I hope you can go and practice. You also heard about the Equus coaching. It's a totally different experience. Um, I was not a fan, like I mentioned earlier. I thought, really? And it was just so profound. And so I just really loved it. It's one of those hard things to understand until you actually go in and experience it and the information that you get back. It's time to do a shout out to Mimi Nirvana for awesome iTunes review. Long time listener. She's been listening to the show for over four years and it's never too late to leave an iTunes review. So thank you. I get so excited when those go up there. And we're building a community of high achievers like you to be leaders in your own life. And you can join that community. It's free. Just go to my website at howshereallydoesit.com and sign up. And you're going to be part of the weekly newsletter and get more great resources to help you create a life you love plus some more insights that I only share in the emails. And there's some big stuff coming up. So make sure you're signed up so you'll be the first to know. And a special thanks to Renee for joining us today. It was fun talking with her and I hope you got a lot out of it. I did. Until next time, I'm smiling big for you. Take care. Early morning, fog is lifting. She's in a Never been so